0: Introduced to you today, uh, Gary has spoken before Gary Best is the uh, and his wife Lisa are here with us. Gary uh, was the first national director of the vineyard churches in Canada. How many people love Canada? Like, everyone loves Canada, and uh, he has um, been with us before a few years ago now he's been in the country doing different things with different uh, vineyard churches and uh, we uh, when I told some of our other vineyard pastors that we've got Gary speaking at uh, at Coast Vineyard this weekend they were very very envious so um, so we're grateful to have him and uh, what I'd love you to do is to give him a big Coast Vineyard welcome as he comes on up be back here. I just love this community and um, love this beach town, of course. And that little, the the run you have around the lagoon, oh my goodness, brought back amazing memories. I can't remember how many years it, it was since I was here last, but shortly after being here, I think the whole world shut down. Oh, sorry. Siri, I shouldn't have said sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Stop it. I said, sorry, and she thought I said, Siri. <clears throat> oh, that? All right. So the whole world shut down. It's amazing how things have changed. Like, for instance, um, around that time, did anyone ever think that their standard Sunday attire for most, most mornings at Coast Vineyard would be a onesie? <laughs> right? And, uh, of course, they're listening to me right now. I can just imagine the conversation. You know, you wake up in the morning, and it's, maybe it was a little bit of a rough night with the kids, and, and the wife says, what do, we, what do we do this morning? Do we really make the effort? And the husband goes, I don't think so, you know. And then she says, well, what, if, like, what if they like give away flowers or something, and we're not there? And he goes, they're not going to give away flowers. So, this morning, we're going to give away flowers. <laughs> and not just flowers. These are like, this is Coast Vineyard version of flowers. But, of course, for all of you watching online, I'm sorry. <laughs> don't even, they'll be gone by the time you get changed, shaved, like it's not worth it. This is for people in attendance only. When's the last time you came to church and got a door prize? Right? Now, so only one person can win these flowers. So you have to be very careful and listen very carefully. We have a skill testing question. You have to unscramble. They're not up yet. No, it's not that. That's, that, that's a little more simple. We have a few more words than that. You have to unscramble them into the right sentence you then have to come up here, speak the words into the mic without injuring anyone on the journey. And the first person that correctly unscrambles the sentence wins these flowers. All right? Are you ready? Everyone ready? Put them up on the screen. I don't think you're my father. <laughs> I, don't, I, I could be. <laughs> All right. Welcome to Coast Vineyard Church. Ah! No. That was wrong. Oh! Who's next? Yes. Coast Vineyard, welcome to church. No. Close, though. Closer. She's conferring with her husband. Well, you guys are really... You know what? Tell you what. If this was Australia, there'd be a a whole pile of bodies crawling over, reaching for the mic. You guys are like... Okay, we'll give it a go. I think it might be. Welcome to Church Coast Vineyard. I'm sorry. They're really nice flowers, they're amazing flowers. The flowers shed, they really kill, don't they? There's some competition. Welcome church to Coast Vineyard. Yes, the flowers are yours. It's, yes, no. You really can't take them. And you want a selfie? No. <laughs> oh no, no, no time for that. Some of you are going, what? Like, what was that all about? Was this some kind of just cute little way of mixing up words to catch us off balance? Or no, this is actually a very deliberate attempt to draw a line between what church is and what church isn't because we've always I mean so often been confused about this and we're really confused about it today generally in our culture but it's such an important distinction to understand now to shift the metaphor slightly what i'm talking about with you know regarding church is what is the building and what is simply the scaffold now that 's a word you use here isn 't it it 's like we use so many different kinds of words, but scaffolding we understand and, and uh, sometimes scaffolding is a pretty good idea to see what kind of economic activity is going around. I mean lots of scaffolding going on in 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 Auckland uh, and, and generally around the country, things are picking up there 's vibrancy again and there's a lot of similarity to the way that you do scaffolding and the way we do scaffolding in Canada. And there's a lot of you know regulations as to how it's constructed, how it's attached, It's uh, at very different other parts of the world. Anyone spent much time in Asia? And you look 50, 60 stories up, and there's this scaffolding out of bamboo? And we're thinking, people go up in that? Of course, they come over here, and they look at ours, and they go, People go up in that? Like, who would trust metal? But whether it's Asia or whether it's here or whether it's Europe, anywhere in the world, one thing we all understand is the scaffolding is not the building. Even if you dress it up, I mean, I saw this somewhere in in, in, in this country, a beautiful kind of mural outside of the scaffolding. And I've seen that a lot in places like Rome where they'll do some beautiful architectural... Uh, building and they put it on this sort of a tapestry over the scaffolding and and some people are really disappointed when they finally take it down. <laughs> but almost no one is confused as to which is the building and which is the scaffold. And we un- we're not really confused as to which is for what. It's not like people build a building in order to hold a beautiful scaffold that's under construction. And then once the scaffold's complete, the building is taken down. We know it's the other way around. That all the scaffolding ever does is facilitate the real building. In fact, it often begs the question, when we see these scaffolds, we go, I wonder what's being built inside of there. With regard to the church, what I'm trying to say is there's a very important distinction that we must always keep right in front of us, a distinction between what is the organism called the church and what is the organization we often mistakenly call the church. Because, see, that word church, first of all, comes out of the Greek term ekklesia. It, it, what's referring to is people, people that are called out, assembled, called together to be sent out for a purpose, It's always been what the church is. Now, of course, if we ever try to see that grow and mature, this is something Paul said, I've dedicated my whole life. I worked very hard at bringing everyone in community to complete maturity in Jesus. I've always given myself to building the church. That's important, and it takes Tangible concrete efforts and structures and initiatives, but those things are only ever the containers that hold the life. You know? They're the bottle that holds the wine. You know, we don't we don't, when we're looking and, and, and going through vineyards, we we go, oh man, that that seemed like a great bottle. I, don't open it. You know, leave that bottle just the way that, we're bottle collectors. No, we're not bottle collectors, we're, we're those who've tasted the wine. So this is the distinction that I want to talk about this morning. It's, not a, it's, it's something that the church has had to be reminded of for many, 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 many centuries. In fact, quite early on at a time when there was already some pretty significant persecution happening in some of the Roman provinces, uh, one of the key early disciples of Jesus followers of Jesus a man named Peter wrote a letter it was a circular letter to Christians generally throughout the province of asia minor and the whole purpose of this letter was to remind them of who they the church who they were who they were together and what they were for because sometimes when you're you know when adversity comes and we're knocked off our feet and a lot of the props are knocked away We're not sure what we should be grabbing and holding on to and what we should simply let go because it's always been a problem that the container building around the church has often become a pretty significant weight for the church itself to carry. A lot of it hasn't been all that helpful. And so in this particular time of shaking, Peter writes, and he wants to remind them, using this metaphor of a building, want's to remind them who they are because it's so significantly important in the times and the world that they find themselves in. So we're going to read just a few verses from 1 Peter chapter 2. I usually quote from the message but this time I'll go to a more familiar translation the New International version. And here Peter is talking about this spiritual building made of living stones. He says, as you come to him, now he's previously talked about, and we'll we'll loop back to that, the the cornerstone of this building, which is Jesus himself, the living stone, you know, capital S. He says, as you come to him, yes, parenthetically, we know he was rejected by humans, but always chosen by God and precious to him. him. You also, just like Jesus, small s living stones, small j Jesuses, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then a few verses later, he he summarizes some of the things he's been saying, and he describes, hey, this is who you are. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light who are you who are we we are a spiritual house we're made of chosen people oh, i just love that you know if if it was left for me in my life to choose god eh, i think i would have pretty much been in trouble I know I chose God somewhere along the way after he had outrun me and thrown his arms around me and washed away a lot of the pig smell and captured my heart with overwhelming love and mercy. And then I was at least not too much of an idiot to say yes to God's yes. God is the ultimate chooser. Remember the day when he chose you? But it's not sort of like, I chose you, didn't choose you, sorry. No, God is this incredible chooser who just keeps choosing everyone forever. It's like, it works this way. We're, 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 we're heading off in this direction, or I turn my stool in this direction, and God picks up his chair and brings it around and faces me and says, I choose you. And so I respond, as I often have in my life, and I turn around this way. Next thing you know, it where's God? I choose you again. And he just keeps choosing us and choosing us until eventually we start to realize what an unbelievable thing that is. We've been chosen by the love and mercy of God who keeps choosing everyone around us and invites us to be part of that incredible thing. Secondly, we're a royal priesthood. Well, everyone who read the original letter understood what a priesthood was. They were the ones that were authorized by God to be like bridges. Bridges between God and a holy God and bridges between God and people. So they spoke from the people to God and they spoke from God to the people and they made connections and God said, this is who you are, you guys are connectors. You're connectors between this incredible choosing inviting heart of God and people who can't really believe that that's true. We have so many ideas about God, almost all of them wrong. When I was younger, I, I, I grew up in the church, but somehow I, I never got it. I, I thought God was like this angry old grandfather, you know, who never really did like kids and now had way too many kids and And every time they got close, he wanted to try to hit him with his cane. You know, (laughs) just wait, wait till you, wait till after this life, I'll really get you then. And like he just had an anger management problem. I, I I just, I never knew. I, I, it was like all shrouded in darkness to me who God was. And what the priests do is they help. they blow away the fog and the mist and they make it more clear and understandable who God really is so that we can make connections with God. He goes on he says, you're a holy nation. I never really have felt all that holy. But of course, holy simply means set apart. God has set us apart for an incredible purpose in the world. And that he's going to talk about that in just a moment. And then finally he says, you're a special possession. We're possessed by God. How does it feel to be owned by God? Well, owned is kind of a bad word today. It feels sort of like some kind of involuntary slavery, but God's ownership is is kind of very different. It's kind of like saying, you know, I own you. In other words, I'll take responsibility for you. I'm not gonna wash my hands of you, and go, uh, just i just I don't know her. No. Nope. <laughs> like, she's not mine. Don't blame her on me. <laughs> like, you know, God doesn't do that. And I don't want to hang around these people. God says, whatever you do, wherever you go, I own you. I'm coming with you. I'm never gonna abandon you or forsake you. Whatever it does to me and my reputation, because actually. Always be in my intention that the way I'd show myself to the whole universe would be through you. Who would believe that? he said, say, no, God, find another plan. This one's not going to work. Trust me. He says, no, I, mean, I know. I understand the problems. I've been trying to do this a long time. But I don't have a plan B. It's you. You're my plan. So that we can, oh, by the way, in all of this passage, as much as the New Testament, much Scripture, when the Bible uses the word you, we always think it means me. We're so cursed by individualism. Understand, almost all the time when the Scripture uses the word you, it's meaning us together. This is who you are. There's something not in just who we are individually in responding to God's grace, but who we are together that's always been intended to be the way that God would show who he is to the world. So he says, all of this, this is who you are, this incredible spiritual building, joined together in a living way so that you might declare the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So we're good. Well, we're intended to be good advertising for God's love and mercy, so that you see, so that people that are—it's still kind of dark as they look towards God. They they think there might be something out there, but they just they have not really much of a clue who that might be or what that entity that God might be like were the ones who have come out of that same kind of darkness and then something turned on a light and we saw who God is and we went, I don't believe it. I never would have imagined it would have been this good. I never would have imagined he'd be this loving, this kind, this merciful. I didn't think it would be unconditional. I had no idea. And when you actually experience it, the most normal thing in the world is to want to tell everybody. Like, this is a really good deal. Like, for instance, you know, this gal that came up and got these flowers, I'm quite convinced she'll tell no one about it. No, she's probably, it's it's already on Facebook, folks. (laughs) It's what we do, because what a great deal. I didn't even put anything in the offering. Look what I got. You know, that's the good news. It's really that good. And so we become the bearers of that good news. That's always been the purpose of what the church is, the organism, the living community. Now, it's always been God's intention that we would become his ambassadors of that light, of what we've seen, of what we've experienced. And, and, and he, Paul describes that, one of the other early leaders of the church in Second Corinthians chapter 5, where he says, this has always been God's plan, that he would actually convey this good news through ambassadors, people like you and I, and you and I together, that would come, hey, this is the message of God. Like, you wouldn't believe this. It's, let's be reconciled. Let's come together. Like, come on home. And he says, this is our message as though Jesus were actually himself speaking. When we speak, it's, it's just like Jesus himself was speaking because we actually are the bearers of Jesus in word and deed And the message is this. Be friends, to quote Eugene Peterson's translation, be friends with God because he's already a friend of yours. Like, he's not angry. He's already decided he's going to be your friend. All you need to do is say yes to God's yes. It's not good. And you don't even have to unscramble a sentence and get it right. Well, let's unpack this just a bit further and then try to figure out what does that mean to us today. Well, earlier on, remember I mentioned that Peter has been talking about the cornerstone of this building, who is Jesus. He quotes, actually, in Isaiah 28, that says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Well, of course because of the way they constructed buildings in those days, they knew the cornerstone was the first stone that basically oriented the whole building. It positioned it. It it gave reference to every other single part. Every other stone was laid in reference to that stone. So if we know what that stone was like, we know what the rest of the building is to be like. And so Jesus is the cornerstone of us. We are to taste and, and feel and look like Jesus. When we come together, people ought to go, you know, there's a book about that guy, isn't there? Like, about you. Like, it's, it's, it's what one author has called the conspiracy of little Jesuses. That's what the church simply is supposed to be all about. So as the cornerstone, we have to ask, who was who Jesus, and how did Jesus self-describe him? You know, like, who did he say he was? One of the most powerful metaphors, he goes, I'm the light of the world. A light for what purpose? Just what Peter has been talking about. A light so that people could see who God really is and who God wasn't. Because coming out of the Old Testament, it's a little bit of a ride, uh, people seem to be not that sure. So Jesus said, I'm going to show you exactly who God is. Paul and Colossians will say he did a pretty good job. So will the author of Hebrews. They said he was the perfect representation of God. If you see Jesus, you've seen what God is and who God, what God is like. I love one quote of an author I used to enjoy reading. He said, I used to think the best definition of the gospel was this one. Jesus ate good food with bad people. He said, but I now have a better one, a new definition. It can be distilled into two words. Jesus loves. These two words say everything about who Jesus is and why he visited planet Earth. Well, this author is only saying what one of the disciples of Jesus, John, said both in his gospel and all through his letters. Don't you love the little serendipitous juxtaposition of John 3.16, and 1 John 3.16. God wanted to show the world that he really loved. So what did he do? He sent Jesus. He said, here's love with skin on. You see this guy, you now know who I am. I am love. 1 John 3.16, on our end, how would we know the God who was love? How would we... who would be the priest that would build the bridge and make the connection and show us that he wasn't this, but he was this Jesus? He laid down his life, and then we knew, ah, oh, this is how God has loved us. In chapter 4 of you know, his first letter, he'll, he'll go, this is the way it works. God is love. You want to know God? Simple. Look for love. You'll find it in Jesus. You'll experience it perfectly and you'll be participate in God. This is the great invitation. So we are all together bearers of Jesus and bearers of love. This is who we are to be in all of our diversity, all of our maturity, immaturity, as messy as this whole thing ends up being. This is the calling of this community of people this morning. Some of our experience in church, and I don't think in this one at all, but some of our experience has been exactly the opposite of what this spiritual building is always to have been about. My experience early on, and and maybe most of it was my fault, but I kind of thought what we were building in God's church was kind of like a a gray concrete block wall. It's sort of like when someone came to Jesus, we kept them outside the doors while the masons right away chipped off all the rough corners, make sure they measured them, they're exactly the same size, spray painted them gray, slid them into the bottom tithing row, and and showed the world, look at this great gray wall we've got. It's really solid. Everyone attends every Sunday, or else. But the picture of the church is, you never see Paul talking about welcome to the wall. No, he talks about this living mosaic, doesn't he? Of of diversity within unity, many, many years ago. I was really, I had come to Jesus, he had won my heart, but I just didn't, I wanted to be part of God's people, but I I didn't know how to fit into the church. I, I wasn't very good at being good. And, and I, I was asking God, what, what is it? What is the church? What am I even should be aspiring for or looking for? And, and, and then, I, now, many, many years later, I think I actually had a vision. I didn't know what it was then. I thought maybe it was just drugs. But it, it, was, it was a vision. And I, I saw the west wall of the Notre Dame Cathedral. And if any of you have ever seen even a picture of it, this massive circular window. And of course, we know how stained glass works, don't we? It's all, it's, it's such diversity, different colors and sizes and textures, and, and, and they're all positioned together. If you get too close to it, I mean, nothing works. But you back up, and you see this unified picture, and you go, Goodness, how do people do that? And the answer is, in a few lifetimes, right? Uh, so I'm looking at this, and then, because I already knew a little bit of the Bible, I thought, oh, that'll preach. I mean, it's kind of like God's mosaic, diversity within unity, the church. And God said, not so quick, Marty, um, uh, watch this. Now, you've got to understand, this watch it watch this, came before Star Wars. Like this is before much of any kind of CGI. Now anyone who wasn't born yet by Star Wars, you don't know what the world was like. It was like these horrible dinosaur movies made out of clay. You know, and these quick little shots, and not that many of them, so these frightening scenes were like, I monster, and I'm going to eat you, ah. Remember that? Remember, and we scared to death watching the movies. I don't know. Like, so there is no, the, the digital world, it, it's just not there. And, and so the best thing you've got you know, to play with a, a stained glass window is a kaleidoscope. It's a little clunky. It's like clunk, new picture, clunk, new picture and we were just blown away and wanted it for Christmas. right? Well, I look at this and God says, watch this. And in my mind, I've got no reference for this. This thing seamlessly just starts to shift. It starts to move. And it's constantly making a new picture. And you can't tell when one picture has ended and the new picture has come because the picture is always Jesus. And my mouth's hanging open, I go, how do you do that? And it's almost as though God said to me, "Uh, just between you and me, it's it's, it's a miracle. that These different parts can be changing in size and texture and color and repositioning and seamlessly, it's still always Jesus. And then I started thinking, what if the church looked like that? I mean, in some reality, when we come to church, we're not all, oh, we pretend we're the right size and the right color, and we pretend to give, and we, but we know it doesn't work that way. I mean, fantastic things begin to change immediately as soon as we see yes to Jesus. One person very, very close to me who was a major drug dealer had a powerful conversion And right from the very beginning, change happened. Uh, Within a week, he started tithing his drug drug earnings. (laughs) But it doesn't happen all at once, does it? But as we're all changing and growing and maturing and figuring out, you know, uh, what to do and what not to do and what Jesus would do, somehow the Spirit of God, if we will just trust continues to weave this together so that anyone who gets back from us looks and goes, man, that looks like love. It looks like the deepest longing of my heart. But they go, it won't last. Because they see people coming to meet together and they go, you should never put all those people in one roof. This is going to end in violence. And then they watch people leaving from that place, loving and embracing one another and carrying one another and bearing one another's burdens, and they go, Are you telling me that love's still possible in this world? That was always what it was supposed to be about. That we, the church, would declare the praises that God's love has broken in from from light breaking into darkness and is loving this world to wholeness. And he started with us. Are we good at it? No, we're not very good at it. But that's the invitation. At least that ought to be what we understand we're aiming for and trying to learn how to say yes to. So that we together would become Jesus' light to the world. We would be that stained glass movie. And I tell you, I've had tastes of it. It's kind of like a love-hate relationship, isn't it? Because sometimes the church can be so broken and so unloving, just like me. But I've had, that might be God calling in right now just to say amen to that point, brother. He's persistent. Didn't I tell you? Takes the chair from there. He'll come to there. He won't give up until we finally answer. It's always been God's intention that we would be that movie to the world around us. There's no plan B. So what's the point of this all? He's he's just not gonna let you go, <laughs> and it's part of why I love coming back to this church because I know your leaders. I've met many of you. I know this is what you're trying to be now in a very difficult season. COVID has just kicked the stuffing out of the church across the Western world for sure. I mean, I've been. In North America, it might be better down here, but the average church has lost more than half of its Sunday attendance. Being just devastated financially. The scaffolding is taking a big hit, folks. Thankfully, the church is not the scaffolding. COVID has been an incredible gift to us because we've seen, first of all, that there is something in all of the organizations that we build that's remained. And it will remain in season out of, and out of season. It's smaller than we thought. It's smaller, but it's unshakable. Because that's the church that Jesus said he would build, and the gates of hell would never be able to withstand it. And so it's been also an incredible opportunity to look at the scaffolding piece, the organizational piece, and remember that that all exists, has only ever existed to serve the real building. So it's given us an opportunity again, one, to so appreciate the real community of Jesus and to appreciate the light that is still with us And to realize again what an incredible gift we have for everyone around us where our society is becoming so polarized and separated and fragmented. And here we are, we're united around love. And then we go, have we got something to declare? Yeah. It's a conspiracy too, which is really popular these days. It's the conspiracy of little Jesuses that we might declare the praises of the one who brought us out of darkness into his wonderful light. And that's what we're going to celebrate going forward. That's what we're going to focus on because the church is alive and well and it's got a big vacancy sign on it. Everyone's welcome. And we're the ones who can communicate that message in flesh and blood active initiative as we love extravagantly as Jesus had loved us. So the question for this morning is going forward, how can we be God's stained glass movie to the world? Because there's a whole world waiting for us. Let's stand. You know, and, and this an amazing thing. Every time the church actually gathers in the container, there's always an incredible opportunity to enact, to, to walk out who we are. Because, you know, whenever we come together, even within the community of Jesus, it's kind of like a carousel, isn't it? Like never are the horses all up. You ever been one of those things in the cheesy music and all the horses are up and none of the kids can reach them? Right? But it's never been where all the horses are down. Right? So, this is the way it works. There's always some horses up and always some horses down. There's always some people that are going down into a difficult time of life and there's some people that are coming up out of a difficult time of life. There's some people that think they're Elijah or elijah There's other people who think they're the Antichrist. I mean, we're kind of all over that map, aren't we? But when we come together, the Holy Spirit is here and gives us gifts and we can, in tangible form, Communicate the transforming, healing, empowering love of God's Spirit to one another. And that can happen, and it does happen, week after week after week, doesn't it? Oh folks, let's never take that for granted, or realize, or, or forget how powerful it is. COVID helped remind us of that. Doesn't it? So all I'm going to ask right now is a really simple little thing and then the, kind of the band will kind of play into that space as God directs them. But all I'm going to ask is that if you've come this morning with some need of light, with some need of love, I don't know whether it's a physical thing that's pushed and separated you out, whether it's relational, or whether it's some kind of spiritual harassment, but all of life has it's, it's been trying to do that, hasn't it? To separate us out, to pull us away. And so all I'm going to ask you to do, if you've come with some need of, of that light, of that love in a tangible form this morning, just open your hands. It's kind of what we, our kids do when, when, you know, they need something. It's one of the biggest things that this is a safe place for us to have the humility of saying, I, I, I'm not enough alone. So just do that and keep your hands open right now if that's where you've come, the condition in which you've come today. Now I'll tell you something, and I've watched this for a lot of years. It's never everybody. Because God has prepared others of this family who can gather around these hands and say, you're not standing alone. I'm with you. And what I've got is a simple prayer as I reach to God and I reach to you. Oh, I guess that's priesthood. There's a lot of precedent for the presence of God flowing through that connection. So what I want to ask is is the rest of us who don't have our hands open, open your eyes and just come as they're playing. And let's not let any person with open hands stand alone. Come along beside them and just say, at first, just quietly, just pray for God's presence. Sometimes that's all that's needed. You don't need to be brilliant. If God gives you some things to pray, then pray. And what we'll be doing is inviting the light and love of God And as we leave this place, we can simply keep our eyes open. Well, thanks so much for joining us for today's message. We hope and pray that it's been most helpful. If you are keen to find out a little bit more about us as a church whanau or you'd like to touch base, then you can go to coast.org.nz and there you'll find information about our in-person services, online services, various resources and activities. Enjoy the day and be blessed.